Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another Coleman Had a Dream podcast. Uh, we are going to talk about a few different things today. We're going to start by talking about the draw, which is, uh, was done on Friday, of course. And we're going to talk about the women's game as they beat Greece and look ahead to the game against France on Tuesday night. Um, we're going to see if we can answer a few of your questions, Ruth. I haven't prepped you for these at all, so we'll just see what comes out. And um, yeah, we hopefully we'll have a good chat with you all today. Um, how are you doing, Ruth? You all right? Yep, doing all right. Sitting in the marina car park um, on the Oregon coast, trying not to look slightly conspicuous, but I think I might be failing, (laughs) (laughs) failing horribly (laughs) with with my headphones and everything going here. (laughs) Yeah, that that does sound very, very sketchy, to be fair. You are enjoying a nice little road trip up the West Coast, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, we're enjoying it. I mean, the the weather is very November, but I can't I can't complain. We're we're having a nice time. Well, I'm I'm very much glad it is very November here in the Netherlands. I watched the Man City game today actually, and there was snow in, and the Burnley game was even called off due to snow. I don't know if you saw that. No, I hadn't caught up with that. Yeah, it's still a bit early here this morning to catch up with those with those details. But based on the storm that was going through Wales, that doesn't that doesn't surprise me that there's some some snow tagged in with that. I know it was almost it was almost laughable actually. There was a picture I saw doing the rounds on uh, on Twitter, which was all of the officials at the Burnley match with hats and gloves and scarves and massive coats and tracksuits and everything else, and uh, Sean Dyche chatting to them in just his trou- suit trousers and a shirt, uh, which I thought was uh, which I thought was very Sean Dyche. I've got to be honest. Anyway, uh, I digress. Let's uh, jump straight in to the draw. Um, Let's start with the the first game rather than focus on the other teams. I think that's important. So let's look Mm -hmm. at Austria. First, most important question, Ruth, is were you happy with it? Absolutely. I mean, I think think it's very very difficult to um, not look at that draw and and feel that we've done okay out of it. But I was particularly pleased to get Austria. I mean, if if there's a team that have reversed into the playoffs it's definitely them I mean they're they're only involved because we didn't we and a whole host of other teams didn't need our our nation's league uh backup plan um you know they they were fourth in their qualifying group the fact that we were at home obviously is a, is a big favor to us so yeah I'm, I'm very pleased with that aspect of the draw yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty happy with it as well as well of the two I mean obviously I think everyone would have preferred the Macedonians but um even then, we don't know much about them. They're a bit of an unknown commodity, and they're the sort of team we'll probably sit in and try and frustrate us. So maybe in terms of the way we play, um, the Austria draw is maybe a slightly better draw, if anything. It's an interesting one there. You say they yeah, kind of, I think I think the North Macedonians have got some momentum as well, and they've handled playoffs successfully recently. So I'm I'm not sure that their ranking. Yeah, I don't think you can just look at their ranking and and you know take that at face value in their case either. So I, I think it might not be as clear cut that they were sort of the minnows, and I don't like that expression, but sort of the minnows of the playoff, uh, the playoff teams. I know what you mean. I do find the that you said there the Austrians backed into the the playoffs. I do find that quite an interesting uh, w- way of saying it because a few I've heard the, a similar thing off a few people. They they did win five games in their group. Um, and admittedly, it wasn't the hardest group. Denmark, Scotland, Israel, themselves, the Pharaohs, and Moldova. Um, 
but I've seen that a few times that they kind of, you know, yeah, they came fourth in their group. They still won five games. And admittedly, they played two more than us. Um, but uh, I, I do think that was quite interesting. I think the other thing is David Alaba is, is very much a man in form at the moment. So I, I do think... Whilst I'm glad, I mean, there were never going to be any easy games here, but um, I think we do need to be a bit careful not to kind of think one step ahead of ourselves here as well. Oh, no, I, I agree. Um, but I think, you know, they they drew away with Scotland in the opening game of that qualification, um, which I think I think says something of their of their talent level and skill level, and you you can't have a player like Alaba in the team and and ignore that. But looking at it sort of from the rose coloured spectacles side of things, twelve of their sixteen points came from wins over the Pharaohs and wins over Moldova, who ended up as the sixth place team in that group. So I think, I mean, I think we've got to be, as you say, we've got can't get kind of giddy about it um they're going to be a, a a taxing opposition but i think when you look at the alternatives across those six teams that we could have had i think we've we've come out at the kind of the better end of that scale no i i would totally agree with you um i think they are a very beatable team by our current standards um Di Reese, uh, not me, by the way, uh, a different Di <laughs> Reese, whose messenger said how can we defeat australia um uh, Australia. Australia. Oh, that God. might be difficult. <laughs> and so it begins. How do we beat Austria? Um, I think the key for me there is looking at, again, looking at some of their results. It kind of, they are, I would describe them as leaky. Um, even the game, the other game, if you like, that they won aside from the Pharaohs and Moldova, they conceded two goals against Israel. Um, they conceded five against Austria on the last day. Obviously lost to Scotland. And no, they can't, they can't have defeated, conceded five against Austria, dear. They are Austria. Oh, my Christ. I mean, Israel. Oh, my God. It's just, uh, <laughs> do you know what? My wife has gone away for two days and I am absolutely falling apart of the seams. She needs to come home. <laughs> Having to do everything in this house by myself and look after the dog is obviously driving me to distraction. I need another beer and I haven't even had any yet. Maybe, that, maybe that's what it is, is that I haven't had a beer. Um, that uh, that is part of the problem. I'll start that again. They conceded five against <laughs> Israel um, and two in the reverse fixture, although they won. Uh, Moldova scored against them. Obviously, they lost uh, to Scotland and Denmark. So, yeah, I mean, they are definitely a leaky side. The one thing I will say is they have also scored fairly regularly as well. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I do think there's an element of threat about them. But, I mean, they will, on the balance of it at least anyway definitely concede goals if you consider that we scored I think it's two fewer than them sorry we scored five fewer than them um in two fewer matches um I think mm-hmm. that that says quite a lot to be perfectly honest with you they, they scored they conceded 17 goals and again considering that two of those games against Moldova and the Pharaohs that is still a fairly large number of goals in in the other games in the other six games so yeah I I do think there's definite positive for me I think getting at them being on the front foot and attacking them is is the main thing I think if we try and be and it's easier said than done but I think if we try try to be too kind of neutral um, and you know worry about them too much then I think we could get suckered into some sort of you know back and forth and I think if we actually go out and attack them similar to how we did in the Czech Republic um, similar to how we did uh, against the Belgians then I think that game is is very much ours for the taking. 
Yeah, I think I think us being on the front foot is the key. I think we have to approach the game like that. Um, and I think we will, based on what we've been doing lately. So uh, I, I think the tempo and the energy and the, the press are all things that are going to help us. And, and we have to we have to generate the energy in the game and be resp- take the responsibility of that and, and, and push at them, as you said. I mean, yeah, I mean, looking, looking further on to what comes next, if we get there, I mean, if we were going to hand pick a draw, I, I think we would have, you know, not gone far wrong from what we ended up with. Um, obviously, Scotland, I do think are a bigger threat than perhaps are made out in that they have got a lot of momentum. They beat Denmark in the last game. They qualified for the Euros last time out. They're definitely on the peak of their particular wave. Uh, you know, again, in hindsight, I'm not sure they've had the toughest group, but still to win seven games from 10. I think is is no mean feat. Um, so credit to them for that. I think the fact that we would potentially face them at home, I think, would be um, a big one for me. I think the 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 one interesting or most interesting part for me is Ukraine. Like you talk about teams who've backed into this. Ukraine only won twice in qualifying, and admittedly, they didn't have the easiest of groups either. France, Ukraine, Finland, Bosnia, and Kazakhstan. I mean, still two wins from eight games to come to come second in a in a World Cup qualifying game is is quite staggering. I mean, uh, Finland won more games than them. Ukraine drew six of their eight games, um, and I think when you look at that, they've they only conceded eight goals. So they are definitely tight at the back. I think that's their biggest strength. They only scored eleven goals as well. So there's definitely. I think they are going to be a really tricky team. I think they would sit deep and try and hit us on the break. And I think that doesn't suit us. So, you know, it it would be an interesting balance were you to pick one of the two. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think think that's actually a really difficult call. uh, Because whoever wins the game up in Scotland is going to come into a game down in Cardiff. And I think, you know, preface this with the, the... uh, an assumption that we'd beat Austria, which always I find it always a little dangerous. Um, but they're going to—they're clearly going to come in with momentum, aren't they? They've just won a key game, and they're going to come in with momentum. Admittedly, we'd be in the same position, but the teams are going to come in on a high. So, and I think given we're looking at something that's as far away as March, I'm not sure that what's been happening over the last couple of months has the relevance that it would have if the qualifying had closed out in October and we were ha- we were holding those games in November, for example. I think there's there's That's a, a lot That's that a will point. happen between now and March to put different teams on a high or different teams on a low, injuries, what happens with the suspensions, you know, between the first game and, all, you know, all of that sort of stuff. I think it makes it a very fluid situation by March. Um, I think the Ukrainians are interesting because, as you, as you say, they, they, they have a propensity for draws but two of those draws were against France and the fact that France only managed to score two goals across two games I think says something about how defensively tight the Ukrainians are um I think you're right I think they will sit back and and expect us to come at them and they will hope to catch us on the break which again we've we've got to we've got to learn to be able to handle those sorts of teams we are now at a position kind of in our status and, and ranking that means teams are going to approach us that way. And we've got, to, we've got to learn to deal with that and we've got to come up with a way to overcome that. Um, and and I, think, I think either team obviously will be very difficult. 
proposition. I think the fact that we got that home draw is absolutely key. Um, I would rather take I'd rather take the Ukrainians over the Scots just because it's the whole sort of Britishness of this is already annoying and we're a match of days <laughs> into the into this process um so i would much rather have the ukrainians and speaking very very personally there's a lot of bad history with the scots and i just don't want to go through that again i mean that's understandable um the second question <laughs> that diary asked was would it be third time lucky against the scots I, I don't necessarily want to go down the prediction road just yet no 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 um, no, no. <laughs> you you were talking there about the way we've been playing and obviously the the kind of need if you like or the desire from us to be on the front foot um Paul Godding mm-hmm. from At Seven Puzzle has messaged us and said, um, do we think Alan Nil, who I roundly questioned the appointment of, um, has had much of, a, of an influence? His, the flying wingbacks um, and the fact that we seem set on this three at the back with those flying wingbacks because um, kind of shifted things a little bit and it seems to have been our settled setup since he came in. I don't want to take any kind of... Uh, credit away from Rob Page because I'm sure he's had a lot to do with that as well but to be fair to Paul he does make an interesting point there and you know has Alan Nil come in and had the influence that perhaps some of us myself included um didn't think he may have well I suppose it's a possibility but we don't know so I'm I think we'd be speculating but it remains a possibility I think that Connor Roberts play at the Euros may have influenced this thinking as well um, before the in obviously the injury against Denmark certainly didn't help in that game but in the games leading up to that I think he had an impact and perhaps sort of generated thoughts about a template that we might not have been ready to commit to until we kind of saw that in action almost there um, so I, I think as a I think there's a whole host of possibilities here. Dave, that have kind of changed this emphasis. I think making the decision about the three in midfield with a sort of offensive version of that three for some games and a defensive version of that three for other games have have kind of enabled us to, to play chess on the football field, as it were, and say, okay, that's that's solid. We've got two up front. Let's accept it's going to be James and Moore or James and Bale. We can develop a solid three at the back. We've got a goalkeeper that's becoming more embedded. We can go with two win backs. So I think it's I think it's an evolution. And I don't want to, I'm with you. I don't want to underplay what Neil's role might have been because we don't know. And it could have been a particular conversation he had that generated a tipping point. We don't know. But I, I do. I think it's more probably an accumulative thing, and perhaps he's contributed to that. I agree. I think it's, it's a big part of that. I also think it's a big part of it is uh, context as well. I think mm-hmm. going into that Czech Republic game, for example, having drawn nil-nil with Estonia, we were almost guaranteed a playoff place anyway. We were going... Uh, you know, balls to the wall, if you like, for that second place, because if it didn't come off, even if we, you know, we were still always going to come third in that group, even if it, you know, we lost our remaining games. And as a consequence of that, we were still going to be guaranteed the playoffs anyway. So there may have been an element of let's at least go full out for second place, because the alternative is, is not actually that different from what we might have anyway. So let's just go for it and see what happens. And I think because of that, 
I don't want to say they've stumbled across it. I, you know, I, I don't doubt that this was something that was on their mind anyway. But I do think there's an element of the, there's a relative free risk, for want of a better expression, mm-hmm. that goes along with this perhaps. Um, I also think, you know, we've got to be a little bit careful as well here uh, in the sense that I don't want us to get carried away uh, because mm-hmm. you know we've we've been we've been burned before, um, and and I think that we also need to remember that whilst we did play well against Belgium, we did play well against the Czech Republic. We've also beaten Belarus and Estonia, who aren't anywhere near the level of where we were going to be. And I think also a lot of it relies on Nico Williams has had a stormer in those two games. And I think if our wing backs don't play as well, then I mm-hmm. think that that changes things. Obviously, they, the, the the coaching staff. Um, Alan Nil included deserve massive credit for perhaps getting the best out of those players, playing those players in their positions, which kind of suits them best. And like I, you know, I'm not you know equally trying to claim credit myself, but um, I did say on the last pod, I think the best thing about this three-five-two type system is that even if our world beaters aren't necessarily all in their best spots, the everyone else is. And I think that mm-hmm. is 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 something that if they have done that intentionally, which again I'm sure you I'm sure they have, that is something which I think deserves equal amount of credit in the sense that once you've got these other players, the smaller part players, if you like, playing in their best positions, that makes everything a lot easier. That you're not reliant on one or two anymore because everyone is doing their best thing. And I and I think Nico Williams' performance kind of typifies that the idea that he can get down the wing, attack at people, and and kind of cut inside and, and be a threat. Um, mm-hmm. I think says a lot. And, you know, yes, Alan, you know, to ultimately answer the question, yes, Alan Nil does deserve credit because he's come into this setup. He's kind of renowned for these attacking wide defenders, if you like. But, you know, it was the rotating centre-backs or whatever it's called at Sheffield United and then the wing-backs. So that system has worked and is obviously something that they've actively tried to do in terms of getting the wing-backs up the pitch more. So, yes, I, I think he does deserve credit. And I'm saying all these things so I don't want to underplay Rob Page's role either. I think he deserves massive credit. Um you know, for being attacking and being gung ho to an extent, and I think you know it's a it's a combination of things, as you said. The context, of the situation plays a big role in it, uh, as far as I'm concerned, too. Yeah, I, I I mean I'm I think Rob Page is the key figure in this. I don't want to over, overstate other people's involvement. I think he has evolved from a sort of very defensively minded coach to someone who is sort of embracing the attacking strengths we have and and running with it and and enabling as you say players to play in their best natural positions and i i think probably for me that's the key thing is just his development yeah i think that, i think that's true and i think you know even the interviews he's doing afterwards around and about things like he was caught, he was there at the the women's match on Friday night and again he was I think his manner and the way he is and the way he spoke is so so different and so much more comfortable and confident than it was six months or so ago so I think Mm -hmm. like you say he's developed as he's gone along uh, as well there um we obviously are interested in in how we think they will get on if you were Uh, gun to your head Ruth I just want a selection of yes or no's here or one word answers from you gun to your head will 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 we will we be like this imagery (laughs) well you are in America to be fair the shoe very much fits um gun to your head Ruth will we beat Austria yes or no yes 
Whoa, I fully expected you to try and bottle out of that, but there you go. Fair play to you. No, the... <laughs> um, one word answer. Will we play Scotland or will we play Ukraine? End up playing Scotland just because they're playing at home. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if that's a game that, you know, goes to extra time and penalties ultimately, perhaps. That is the longest one-word answer, even by our standards. <laughs> um, and therefore, Wales final, uh, Wales Scotland in the playoff final. Do Wales qualify? I'm for not the... answering. I'm not answering that question. I'm, that's the one I'm not answering. <laughs> I was hoping I could coerce you into that all the way down the line. Um, the guy... I didn't. I didn't. Say there's too much. There's too many scars yeah. from that. Um, I saw the guys who do the very accurate, to be fair, uh, predictions on Twitter uh, run their t- their simulation models and then give us the outcomes. They've suggested that of the from the three paths, Wales, Russia, and Italy, the three teams they think are most likely to qualify. So I'm basically already um, packing my suitcase for Qatar November. Um, so you know we'll have to Christmas in Qatar is very much back on. Um, I were I to have a gun to my head, I think we will beat Austria. I think it'll be tight. I personally think that the Ukrainians might end up beating the Scots. I think they're the sort of team that might kind of grind them down and frustrate them uh, and leave them to make a mistake. That's that's my personal take. I think that will or is likely at least to go to extra time and, and pay probably penalties is my guess. So I think we'll end up playing Ukraine at home. At, at this stage, I, you know, I'm the same as you, Ruth. I've I've been burnt too many times to make outlandish predictions. The one thing I will say is, if you'd have said to me uh, at the start of this campaign, or do you know what? In fact, at any time in my Wales supporting life, you've got two games to get to the World Cup, and you have to be Austria, and then either Scotland or Ukraine. Will you take it at home? Uh, at home, <laughs> I would. I would absolutely snap your arm off and take that from you in a heartbeat. So, I think the one thing from that is yes, we've got to beat Austria first. Yes, it will be a tough game, whoever it is against, either Scotland or Ukraine. But I think it is a certainly in my lifetime, we will never, never have a better opportunity to qualify for a World Cup now. Um, given the players we've got, their ages, their circumstance, their situation, the way things are going, two games at home, blah, 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 blah. I think we will not have a better chance. That's the big thing. So I hope everything crossed that uh, that, that comes to pass because I think this is a wonderful opportunity for Welsh football. Agreed. Agreed. So let's let's stay in the hopeful, hopeful but realistic kind of camp until March, yeah? Sounds good to me, and we'll talk no more of it until then. <laughs> can, I, can I just mention something about the draw itself? Please do. Because um, I think UEFA must be kicking themselves that they didn't do some sort of st- seeding that would have kept Portugal and Italy apart. Um, I think I think the whole sort of ramifications of this way of doing it have uh, come home to come home to roost, and uh, I've, I've, part of me is just having a quiet giggle at that. Yeah, I can't imagine there were too many people at FIFA HQ who uh, had broad smiles on their faces when uh, when the first four names out of the hat were, were Scotland, Wales, uh, oh God, who were the other two? Russia, someone, Sweden. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, but, you know, I, that, I suppose that's, that's the way football goes sometimes. You know, you can't yeah. always, uh, you know, if you don't qualify, you've had your chances, you know, you're in the same little same hat as everyone else. One more thing I wanted to say just off the top of my head before I forget. Um, it seems as though the rule regarding the double yellow cards thing is going to be waived. Um, I would imagine, again, in no small part due to the fact that Ronaldo 
is set to miss the first game, I think. So, um, yeah, so I wouldn't, I, I'm, I'm fully expectant from what I've heard and read and seen that that rule will be overturned, which is great for us. I think, I'm sure Joe Morrell is, uh, is very, very happy somewhere along the line. Um, I did also like Joe Morrell's tweet, actually, whilst, whilst we're on, on this, uh, after Kevin De Bruyne tested positive for COVID. Uh, he, he, his tweet was something along the lines of, good job, I got nowhere. Good job, I didn't get within 1.5 metres of him for the whole 90 <laughs> minutes, which I thought was very good. Um, yeah. To move the conversation on a little bit uh, and look mm-hmm. at Friday night's game, a f- very busy Friday night. I've just got to, I've got to share, Ruth. I... Um, I was in a mad rush to get back from work on Friday. I had an absolute nightmare. I got to school, realized I'd left my laptop at home. Um, so taught my first lesson of the day, a double, night, double lesson um, with, uh, with some fairly questionable year eight kids uh, without any of my resources or ability to do most of my job. Rushed home so that I could get my laptop, did the rest of my busy work at home, rushed back to school to teach the rest of my lessons, rushed back home and walked through the door just as Scotland were being pulled out of the hat, um, uh, which is fantastic, perfect timing. Uh, as I was watching the game, uh, watching the draw, sorry, of my friend Tiny Hands Tom, who uh, has got small hands and is called Tom, and uh, he is Scottish, so we, we had long joked about the prospect of it being a, a Wales-Scotland final, should that come to pass. So I then sat down and was just like, bloody hell, if Wales are the next team out of the hat, we'll be playing you in the final. Ha, 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 ha. And then, of course, Wales got drawn. Um, <laughs> so there was a fair bit of banter flying about there between myself, Ant, uh, who's, a, who's a Welsh guy who was with us as well. So that was great. Then came home to watch uh, Ado Den Haag play. They were playing on... Um, on Friday night as well. So we had two screens. We had the Ado game on one and we had the Wales game on the other. As a consequence, I do admit to being fairly drunk by the end of the women's game. So my in-depth tactical analysis of the situation may be slightly limited. Although my position, if you like, as a some sort of jinx in one way, shape or form was confirmed itself. Ado won 5-1. And through a collection of getting drinks, uh, tending to the irritating dog or going for a wee. Um, there were six goals in that game. I only scored one of them. Uh, I was out of the room I, I every other time. I don't think you time. scored any of them, David. <laughs> Is that what I said? Oh, my God. Yeah. Jesus, what is wrong with me? I didn't score any of them. That is very true. I only, I only saw one of them. Um, Jesus, where, goodness me. Why do people listen to this? Get a beer, man. Get a beer. <laughs> Yeah, I do wonder why people listen. Anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, I only saw I only saw one of the the goals in the Ado game. I did manage to see all of the goals in the women's game. That was my uh, that was my main focus. Um, they too scored five goals in a what again I would describe as a as, as as close to a complete performance as I think you can really get given the circumstances and the weather, which was horrific. Yeah, I mean, I think. I'm not sure I would describe it as complete because for me, I think a complete performance has to include some defensive work as well. And that was really very limited in this game. Um, But certainly as as an offensive performance, I I don't think you could have asked for more. Again, particularly, as you say, in those conditions, which looked atrocious down in Tenethly. We were on the front foot straight away. just yes, just everything about the momentum, the 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 variety of goals. The, yeah, it was it was just a great game. 
It really was. I say a complete performance because looking at it statistically, I mean, uh, we had 65% possession, we had 20 shots, and the Greeks had one. Um, mm-hmm. I think we had pretty much twice as many passes as them. Um, you know, we, you know, they had zero corners, we had seven. Um, I, I think in that sense, it was a complete performance. You're right, they didn't have almost anything to do really in a defensive capacity. But I also think that comes from us being on the front foot, dominating the ball, dominating possession, and winning the ball back off them high up the pitch. That's the thing I liked. When you talk about a complete mm-hmm. performance, yeah, okay, the opposition may have been sketchy, but they were snapping at the opposition high up the pitch so even if they did have the ball it was in areas that couldn't hurt us and that in itself is a fantastic form of defending I think being on the front foot so yeah and, and I think to to do what we have done a couple of times in this campaign which has been so crucial is get that early goal and, and what a lovely goal from Sophie Ingle it was. Yeah that I think that was actually my favourite goal um, of, of the five because it took the pressure off I mean, it was a great finish off her. The build-up play, there was a little bit of ricocheting, although it was a nice feed off um, off Fishlock to Ingle. And then the way she kind of passes it to, into the goal. Um, I think Kerry Hol- one of Kerry Holland's later goals is perhaps actually the best goal. But I think in terms of how it sets us up for the remainder of the game, I think Ingle's is the most important one and I, I like the fact that we're getting into the habit of scoring early in these games yeah I, I, it was an important goal it was a lovely finish I, I, I do think there are, there are question marks over the Greek goalkeeper I think she she makes a, a solid effort to be the Wales uh, player of the match to be perfectly honest <laughs> sometimes there uh, the second goal which to be fair I don't think was fully the goalkeeper's fault there it was, it was a very short back pass um, but obviously yeah. that the, the goalkeeper doesn't uh, doesn't cover herself in glory, but uh, you know, a good. I, I don't want to say composed finish because that, it, what you know, there wasn't much comp- composedness about the the actual finish itself. But in terms of the the way that um, the goal was taken by Katie Green, I thought was was fairly composed. I think it was an, an example of of Green's kind of harrying and work rate and high press that she was delivering, and that. With it, you know, within the game as a whole, and I, I think this was just a sort of manifestation of that. Really, I'm sure the conditions didn't help the goalkeeper with the way the ball held up, uh, but I, I sort of want to put it down more as a reward for Green's kind of efforts and work rate than anything else. Yeah, I know what you mean, uh, and I think that's fair. I, I think, and again, I was talking about that kind of front foot harrying and the difference mm-hmm. it was it was making being a key part of that. And I think again, you you could see that there. Um, the the third goal again, you know, the the goalkeeper's making a a shout to be our man of the match, kind of fumbles it across the line, <laughs> but good shot from distance. And I think that goes to show, you know, you earn your luck sometimes, don't you? In, in international football, you're going to take those short, those sort of shots you know, uh, then every now and again, you might get your reward from them. And, and we were lucky enough that that happened in that in that case. And it was obviously, you know, the keepers had a mare there, really. Um, was it Kerry Holland, I think, the third one? Yeah, that was, ho- that was Holland. Obviously, Kerry Holland then scored the fourth goal, which for me was the, was the goal of the game. I think sometimes when those sort of goals are scored, you can maybe look at the goalkeepers, but I don't think any goalkeeper in the world is stopping that, really. It's absolutely flown into the top corner, really whipped it in, um, and just a fabulous finish. Another nice feed off uh, Fishlock for that. And then, uh, yeah, great finish, as you said. I think you can't ask for anything more, and I don't, I don't think that... The goalkeepers really to to fault when a 
a shot curls into the top corner like that. Absolutely. And I think Kerry Holland had a fantastic game. I mean, someone else I wanted to mention uh, as having a fantastic game who had a big hand in the in the, in the the fifth goal was Rihanna Roberts. I think, you know, we have a soft spot for her because she was kind enough to come on this pod once. But um, that her contribution down that right-hand side, the amount of ball she gets in the box, the the attacking nature of the way she plays is just so great to see, so great to watch. And that delivery for the for the fifth goal is great. Obviously, you know, I know Tash Harding's got to do the, the hard work, if you like, and put it in the net, but what a fantastic cross. And she did that all night. Her work rate, her energy, everything about uh, Rihanna Roberts' performance I thought was fantastic. It's nice to see her developing more sort of offensively, isn't it? I think she's she's becoming a quite a versatile kind of more of a wing back role than a right uh a right cornerback and i think that's um that's great to see and then obviously tash it was a brave header from her but gutsy gutsy finish but a nicely taken goal i do think it was interesting that that was the 64th minute and we didn't score more later in the game perhaps the no perhaps the substitutions had something to do with that but um i i wonder whether you know with best part of half an hour still to go whether whether we should have should have been scoring more actually i mean perhaps i think there was definitely some substitutions made with tuesday in mind i mean you mm-hmm. look at you look yeah. at the names that we brought off lad harding fishlock holland green I think that is no accident there. Um, I think probably it was the right the right decision. I I think at a point as well. Oh God! Did you hear that? Is that your weather? Yeah, I may have to go and get Shearer the dog because he's just losing his mind. Poor boy. Sorry. Okay, <laughs> it's all right. Okay, apologies for the little break there. <laughs> I did have to go and uh, tend to Shearer the dog. Bless him. Who's not particularly happy about the thunder and lightning, but hopefully it seems to have calmed down a little bit now. So we will we will continue to move on and talk about uh, talk about women's football. Um, yeah, I think the, the 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 big thing seemed to me that that game was handled in third gear to an extent. I think everyone seemed aware of the fact that there's a bigger game, if you like, coming. This was about doing a job professionally, um, and I think that was the game was handled in that way and, and kind of played in that way. And, and I think that came across to an extent in the fact that we scored the goals we needed to do. We killed the game off and that was enough. We didn't know we need to go and kill ourselves and run around like idiots. We needed to kind of get a good a job done and, and move on. And I think one feature of Wales's performances throughout this campaign has been their discipline. And I think that really showed. And I think it was really, really interesting when I looked back through our charts, if you like, We've only had three yellow cards during this entire campaign so far. Two of them from one person, one game. Um, So, you know, again, to be that clean and clinical and professional is a real asset. Uh, And I think, again, talking about the professionalism and how the game finished as a contest, you know, at the 70-minute mark, pretty much. I think that was also part of that because there were eyes on, uh, on Tuesday night as well. Yeah, no, I can't. I can't disagree with that, Dave. It was, it was more a sort of observation than a criticism. I just, I just um, hope that in, it, I think it was the contrast in other games where we've t- where we've tended to keep the foot to the floor for the ninety minutes. But I, I 
don't disagree with you that I think the context of this one is slightly different. And I think the conditions were different as well. I think um, that must have just been a horrible evening to play football in. So I think at, at five at five nil, I can I can understand everybody just seeing out the minutes, and I don't blame them for that at all. Um, someone else who did not particularly uh, you know do too much in terms of seeing out the minutes were the French. They won six nil against Kazakhstan. Um, they also beat Kazakhstan in their previous game, uh, in the previous round of games, sorry, 5-0 uh, at the end of October. They beat Estonia 11-0. Um, yeah. Absolutely crazy numbers there. I mean, obviously, Tuesday's a big, big game. Uh, kicks off at 10 past 8 uh, British time. Uh, Welsh time, I should have said there. Sorry, I'll edit that out. Um, I, find, <laughs> I find the French team quite an interesting one at the moment. They've dropped, if you like, some of their kind of older heads, Wendy Renard being one of them, uh, as an example, mm-hmm. who hasn't been called up to recent squads. Uh, Amandine Henri has been the same as well. And Eugene Le Sommier, I appreciate she's obviously not been called up for a while now from since April, but they are very much going through a transitionary period. Um, there's only two players over 30 in their last squad, for example, 30 and 31. Um, there's not a huge number of kind of big caps as you would often see from a from a big country perhaps in this way for example and um, their top cap holder if you like at the moment is it's got 66 caps which relatively speaking in in uh, in international football is obviously a lot but still you know as your top cap holder if you like in a team they're definitely experimenting with some younger players as i say you know, I'm not for one moment suggesting we're going to go out and batter the French. However, I will say if you were ever going to come up against a French team, now would appear to be quite a good time to do so. I actually, I think, I think there's some interesting points there, Dave, because they remind me a bit of the Belgium's Belgium men's team in that on paper they've been very successful, but they haven't got past the quarterfinals in the last two cups, didn't get past the quarterfinals in the Euros held in 2017, didn't make it to the Olympics. So they've recently, at least, they've kind of flattered the deceive a little bit the way the Belgian men's team have. Um, They're now ranked fifth in the world, which clearly is stunning, but they're trending in the wrong direction. Yeah, Um, go on, sorry. I think what's interesting as well is with the Belgians, when they've kind of hiccuped, it tends to have been the manager that's paid for it. I think what's interesting here is some of the players, um, Amadine Henry in particular, was quite outspoken against the coach, Corinne Gacre, um, probably 18 months ago now. And it's interesting that the coach has weathered it and some of those senior players haven't. Um, and I, I, I think that whole dynamic and, as you say, this transition phase that they're in, I, I, I think it's really interesting just observing where they're at and where they're going. And I can't disagree with you. I think if we're going to play the French under these circumstances, this is probably the time to do it. They're, they'd obviously be strong favourites, particularly at home. You look at how easily they're, they're scoring goals. They've, it's something like 35 goals in the competition already and with 12, 13 different players getting those goals. So, I mean, they're clearly very, very strong. But I do think it's an interesting time period in which to be facing them. 
Yeah, like I say, I, I, I'm not, you know, by any stretch uh, saying we're going to go beat them 5-0. But I think in terms of the evolution of our sides, as you've said there, um, we've, we're at a very, we're at probably the peak, if you like, or close to the peak for this, for this, for this team. And I think the French, are, you know, obviously not a bad team to be fifth in the world, but I think they are relatively gettable. And I think what's interesting is, is they, you know, I was looking earlier at their like run of games. They've only won, lost one game, sorry, in the last, well, what is it, 18 months or so, something like that. Um, sorry, in the last 12 months or so, which was against the USA. In that time, they've beaten England, they've beaten Switzerland twice, they've beaten the Germans. So, yes, they were all in friendlies, but they are still, you know, capable, if you like, of those of those good results. I think what's interesting here is we are now looking at them at a time when, yes, they can score goals, but when they have been put under pressure, like they were against the Slovenians, they do also look capable of conceding as well. And I think I pointed out when we... Um, played them last that they uh, when the Slovenians played them last sorry that they did look very open on the break they didn't mm-hmm. they didn't particularly like um, set pieces either and I think that there is definitely a window of opportunity there for us so in terms of what can we get from this game I think you know obviously a, a win would be a, a statement result for, for Gemma Granger and huge for our chances of qualifying but equally I think going going to France and getting a draw would be would be some achievement for this team Oh, undoubtedly. I mean, like I said, I think I think the French have still got to be favourites. I think um, their ultimately their quality across the field as a whole may tell. I think the fact that we haven't really been defensively tested in the games that we've been playing thus far may may be a hurdle for us. Um, and so I think I think you know the 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 betting is certainly beyond on the French, but I think we have got as good a chance as we're going to have of getting something out of this game. I could agree more. Sorry, there was a bit of a pause there. I was just staring out the window. I wonder this was not actually a, a, a rainstorm we're in. This is actually a snowstorm. It's thunder and lightning and snow right now. From nowhere, there is now an inch of snow outside my house. Anyway, sorry, I was just that would completely distracted my attention. Apologies. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a window opportunity here. And I, I, we, we go into Tuesday fully focused on, on this being our chance to prove what this team and this group are capable of. And I think um, it's a huge opportunity, huge opportunity. So so fingers crossed the girls. Um, I, I understand there are a few people who are going to Ginkomp for the game itself. So uh, safe travels to, to anyone who's going out there. Um, do you dare give us a prediction, Ruth? I, I think the, the French will win, unfortunately, maybe maybe 2-1. I think it's perhaps going to be a closer game. I think it wouldn't surprise me if it ends up being a game somewhat like their away game um, against Slovenia, where you know we might have the odd ch- chance on the break, um, but I think they, they, I still fear they're going to dominate the game and just kind of get there through attrition as much as anything. I think you're right to an extent. I think they will dominate the game and I think, you know, it might not be a, a spectacular one as a, as a viewing spectacle. But with that said, I think the big thing for me is when we played these sort of teams in the past, Norway, England, sometimes we've put up a good performance and a good fight. We haven't scored a goal. We've had, had, had chances, but we haven't scored a goal. And I think in a way, 
even scoring a goal here would be a positive outcome, would be a step in mm-hmm. the right direction because it's something we've not done against these big teams. We've, we've, we've battled, but we've not scored. Or we've not taken the game to them enough. And I wonder if were we to score, it would be the thing which would be like, bloody hell, we can do this now. Like Everyone's talked about the belief that Gemma Granger has given them and stuff. That mm-hmm. you know is all well and good to an extent against Greece and Slovenia or whoever else. To be able to go against the team toe-to-toe with a team like France and kind of prove that to yourselves, that that belief in yourselves is, is as justified as we all think it is, I think would be amazing. So my prediction is, I don't know, I'm not even sure it counts as a prediction. If we score, I think it will be, <laughs> if we score, I think it will be 1-1. If, mm-hmm. we, if we don't, then we'll lose the game rather than it being a nil-nil, if, if that makes sense. I know right. ultimately is the shittest prediction of all time because I'm, kind of, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm covering almost every <laughs> result. You just sit on the fence, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we know with my gift at predictions, they're not really worth anything anyway. So um, I suppose it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to add on the women's side, Ruth? No, I mean, just ex- extend best wishes. I think um, the, the, vi- the vibe around the women's team is so exciting at the minute. I hope they can just have enough of a performance so that it keeps that going, if that makes sense. So Because they've got quite a gap now before the games start up again um, as well. And I think you just, you, I, you want to go into the, the this sort of long winter break feeling good about where you are. And so, and I think that might have as much to do with the performance as it does again about the result on Tuesday. So I just, I just hope that we show what we're capable of in the, in the game. No, that makes sense. As you say, it's a long time to the next um, mm-hmm. game qualifiers. Now, I think it's April is the next qualifier. I'm sure there'll be a camp and, and some friendlies um, at some point put into those into those windows. But it is a long time for for the next competitive game, at least. Um, uh, I just wanted to add one more thing, which was Laura McAllister. Um, I've only seen the first half of it um, due to my very time-consuming dog this weekend. But um, I have watched the first half of her documentary on 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 women's football how it's changed and how it's grown and um it's, it's a fantastic uh watch and i would recommend anyone dig it out and, and try and watch it um i think what laura has done for women's football is almost as important as as what this team has done and, and that doesn't downplay anyone else who's part of that journey as well i think she's done so much in terms of bring into light women's football in the governance side of things on the on the pitch um and obviously the the way that the the women's team are viewed as well i think she's responsible for for so much of that so i think she deserves huge credit i don't know if you managed to watch it uh, on your travels ruth or if you want to watch it yet or if you can watch it yet i, w- sorry, I will be i'll be watching it when i'm you know somewhere with a bit more of a base and i can get onto s4c and have and have a proper look at it um but yeah no it sounds great the the bits and pieces i've been reading up ahead made it look really interesting absolutely so well done to laura i'm i'm, I'm fairly confident she listens to most of these so uh, i hope she's listened <laughs> to this one so well done laura i think it's uh, fantastic stuff um the last thing i just wanted to kind of reference i think reference is probably the wrong word but um obviously this week saw 10 years since the unfortunate passing of gary speed um it's obviously a difficult thing to talk about. I've seen some fantastic articles and, and clips online. I think the FAW posted something out the other day which was uh, 
very evocative. I think Dan Walker posted a really kind of powerful and moving video himself as well on Facebook and Twitter. So I'd suggest watching those. I was very lucky to take part in a in a podcast for True Faith, which is a Newcastle fanzine talking about Gary Speed, not just his influence on Newcastle, but also uh, for Wales as well. So I'd maybe give that a listen. Um, it's it's so heartbreaking to to kind of look back at, at that time and that situation, but. Um, I don't particularly want to dwell on the on the on the sad side of things as sad as it is just we're so grateful I guess for what Gary Speed did at the start of Welsh football and and uh, allowed us to dream as well so um just remembering Gary and thinking of his of his wife and kids and his 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 parents as well obviously but very sad time but absolutely gone but not forgotten Absolutely I think it's it's a time to reflect on the fact that the 10 years seem like seem to have gone in a flash but I'm, I'm with you. I think it's also an opportunity just to remember some of the positive times as, as well as the, you know, acknowledge the dark days. And I think the fact that his impact is still reverberating just speaks to his strength of character and the drive and desire and professionalism and, and determination that he that he brought to so many teams actually but you know from from our point of view to the to the Welsh international team in particular and I think um, I think there's marks that he's left that that are genuinely indelible and they're, and they're gonna are going to keep us in a good place for a long long time. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's a perfect way to finish. I think I would just like to add more one one more thing, which is just to check on your friends. Be nice to people. Um, if you if you if you think your friend's not okay, then just maybe double check that they're not okay or, or they are okay. So keep an eye on for each other and make sure you know you look after your pals and look after each other. Um, Ruth, have you got anything else you wanted to add there? Sorry. No, no, that's a good place to good good reminder for us all. Good place to stop. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we'll be back very soon. We're hoping, as I said, to do something every other week um, in the gap now between um, uh, the international. So hopefully we'll have a roundup soon of the women's game against France. Hopefully next week we'll see how we're fixed. And and then looking forward ahead um, uh, between the playoff game, as I say, we'll be doing something. Some club roundup, some general news, some January transfer window stuff, no doubt, as hopefully Aaron Ramsey makes his way to Newcastle. And uh, yeah, to be able to play in the championship. And then uh, obviously the build-up to the, to the big games in March. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your time, Ruth. Good as always. Um, I'm, I've, I've now got more and more boats like pot, hemming me in here. <laughs> I must be wondering what the hell I'm up to. <laughs> yeah, the local lunatic is out again, everybody. Yeah. Uh, keep your eyes peeled. Uh, well, there you are. I hope you don't get arrested, Ruth. And, uh, and I will speak to you very, very soon. Goodbye. Bye-bye.